Hey, all of December, we're doing a series on Jesus, right? Um, uh, you know, it's coming up to Christmas, and as you know, Christmas is all about Jesus. We're also finishing our whole year's theme on the firm foundation, where we've been shoring up the foundational elements of our faith, in particular, the elements of the New Testament, which we've all been reading, right? Uh, so I think it's apt then to finish up with Jesus. You know, we're taking this whole month to look at Jesus, and I'm, today is the introduction. I'm going to introduce Jesus. So if you're new to church, or even if you've been to church the whole of your life, I hope that you will begin to see Jesus maybe in a different light, that you would get to know him better through this series. Because I would put it to you that there is so much to know about Jesus. He is at the very core of the gospel, the good news, the series that we just finished. Um, he is at the very foundation of our faith, and he is the very cornerstone of our church. But hopefully, after today, you'll see that he's actually even more than that. You know, there's a song that I used to listen to when I was growing up, by Audio Adrenaline, if anybody can remember. And it was called, Never Gonna Be As Big As Jesus. Uh, and so that's, that's going to be the theme, I think, for today in our whirlwind overview introduction of uh, Jesus. Right, we're going to be looking at Jesus, introducing him. Uh, it's so hard. After much prayer, I've decided to land on Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Which kids, if you are doing this, which I'm hoping you're all like following along uh, on this, the Bible verse for today is Hebrews 1, 1 to 4. And in this passage... You're going to hear seven things about Jesus, seven Christological statements about Jesus. And then the whole book of Hebrews is actually going to unpack it, uh, right? Um, I'm going to try and show, not just through a study of this short passage, uh, things that we can learn in our head about Jesus, but I'm going to try to take each one of these seven statements and then ask the question, what do these statements, how do these statements actually affect how we live our lives? Um, I think it can make all the difference. At various points along today's sermon, you might think, oh man, I am not sure if I believe what the Bible is saying on this. I don't even know if it's true or if it's good, the two elements that we covered in the Good News series uh, before. But can I encourage you, if you have some doubts, to just hold that thought to the very end of the sermon. Because if I could appeal, could you maybe... In these next 30 minutes, just try to hear what the Bible is trying to say about Jesus. Let's just hear what it's trying to say about Jesus before you even form your conclusion. So that we 
at least know what the claims of Jesus are. At least we know where the Bible is coming from. Uh, and, 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 and maybe understand some of its implications. Because you see, Jesus wasn't just a good guy who did good things. So let's look at today's passage. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So this is the author of Hebrews. He's writing to the people of his time. He's saying, hey, you, you remember this. But in these last days, he's, he's actually spoken to us by his son, not just some prophets around. The son whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He, by the way, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is actually more excellent than theirs. And if you want to write down the title, kids, but I'm going to try to make your, your, your homework very easy for you. you know, I'm the dad in the, in the homework department, right? Um, Jesus is better is the main point. I'm going to find seven ways of how Jesus uh, is better. But I love how Hebrew starts. Oh, sorry, I didn't even go through it. After making purification of sins, right? And then long ago at many times. Let's go to this part. So you can look it up in your Bible on yourself. But I love how Hebrews, the book of Hebrews starts, right? It tells us this true statement about Jesus. That Jesus didn't just come on the scene, in a dream to one person, like many gurus or religious figures started, you know, all out of nowhere, nobody was talking about anything, and then suddenly somebody has this inspiration. He didn't even come unannounced, and he, he wasn't just a byproduct of someone who wrote down wise, you know, observations of, of, of life, which, by the way, last week, I got more messages about how good my Confucius quote was. More than the point of the sermon even. People are writing to me, Oh, Pastor Chris, that's all right. Respect elders and parents. It's so good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but we had other things that we were talking about in the, in the sermon. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty good. But Jesus is better. Jesus is better. So here we begin with long ago and many times, in many ways. That means you have literally got all of history communicating different people across different generations, across different genres. God was talking to us. And all of it pointed to Jesus, or more specifically, all of it, could be summarized 
by Jesus. That Jesus himself could be the one who speaks on the behalf of all of those things that came before. My goodness, really? The whole Jewish Bible across hundreds and hundreds of years with all of these, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus, Jesus. This is, this is actually quite amazing because it isn't Harry Potter where you've got like one author who just writes all the different books and makes it all link and then she writes a prophecy in book one and then in book five, you know, it comes to pass. You're literally talking about our real world history. As if all of our history was just this blank space, baby. And he wrote his name. So, let's go through seven things about Jesus that you can get from this passage. One, Jesus is the heir of all things. Right? So, there, there are seven points, by the way, kids, if you want to write down. Um, Jesus is the heir of all things. It says, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. And just to clarify what that is, the son whom he's appointed heir of all things. You know, we've got to understand that if Jesus is the heir, that means every single thing that we see, all things, all this whole world and everything, it's going to go to him. He's going to inherit it. We're going to have to give it back to him. You know, Hebrews 1 verse 2 uh, places Jesus at the very center of God's redemptive history. It's not, it's not just about him receiving all things. It's saying that it's all his. It affects the way we actually look as Christians. It affects the way we look at stewardship and legacy. You know, Psalms 24 Verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. As followers of Christ, we're actually called. If we really believe that, that we're going to have to give everything back to Jesus, right? Then we have to think about how we live, right? As followers of Christ, we're called to steward this earth, its resources, our lives even, on His behalf. And, uh, you know, Romans eight seventeen says that if, if children then heirs... If we are children of God, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might also be glorified with Him. And so, sure, Jesus is the heir, but we're co-heirs. So how does, this, how does this affect us? How does this one statement of Jesus is the heir of all things, how does this affect us? And so I'm going to go through this for all the seven. Well, you know what? Christians actually believe that we steward a world that goes back to Jesus, much like that parable of the talents. Not just do we steward a world, but we steward our very lives, our very talents, our very gifts, our family, our intelligence, our resources, our talents, our time, right? And, and it, it goes back. It goes back to Jesus, so then we are supposed to live in a way where we take care of things. Like even our own body, which is the temple of God. We take care of things. It's like a family heirloom that has been passed on to us. 
that we then return. We don't just burn it all down, live the good life for the moment, and then don't care about anything. That's not, not, not if we're going to have to give back to Jesus. Then we would have taken this thing that he's given us, destroyed it, and then when it comes time for him to have his inheritance or take back, it's not good. Anyway, I think Jesus as heir helps us as Christians. If we understand Jesus as heir, it helps us as Christians realize, hey, we are not the inheritor of this world. My children aren't even the inheritor of this world. No. It all goes back to Jesus who sees all and knows all. Okay, point number two. Jesus is creator. Jesus as creator. Hebrews 1, 2 says, through whom? And now here you're getting to some pretty epic statements because sometimes I meet people who say, oh, Jesus is just this really good guy. Great. This really good guy whom also created the whole world. So that's where you start like veering off to, you know, um, away from just an ordinary conversation about Jesus. The Bible talks about how the world was made ex nihilo or out of nothing. Which, by the way, even if you don't believe in God, at some level, you actually also have to start with nothing. No matter how small that thing was before the Big Bang. Like, everybody starts somewhere. Jesus was there at the beginning, the Word. He wasn't just a craftsman forming things from pre-existing materials. He, he is God who spoke creation into existence. So now, Jesus is not just the heir who will inherit it all. He is central in creation. The Creator holds authority, but also determines the meaning and the purpose and the knowledge of the thing that is created. Let's uh, try to illustrate this. If you are a creator, there is some level of authority that you have. So imagine an author and her book, or an architect and his building. It's hard for you if, if the author has not written a character in the book. It's hard for you as the reader to create a character in that, in that book. If the builder or the, the architect has not built a room in a house, you, it's very hard if you are not the creator to, to do that. The, the, the best you possibly could do would be the equivalent of a kid in their bedroom saying, hey, I'm going to make a cardboard fort. I'm going to have a dollhouse. And, right? That's the kind of... Because we're not the creator of the galaxies and the universe. But what we can do is we can create within. We can create within the thing that was created. But when you sell the house, nobody gets the cardboard fort. There is some authority that comes from the creator to determine the very substantial things of what is made and what is not made. Also, the creator determines meaning and purpose. And I understand that this, this is probably the hardest for us to grasp in today's day and age, our postmodern world, where meaning and purpose can be imputed and put onto things that the creator never intended. Right? We, we, we live in this world right now. 
So, uh, um, you know, like, let's say phones. Phones are made for making phone calls. But nowadays, phones can be used for like everything, right? They can even be a status symbol, right? So you might think, you know what? I don't even need the creator. I don't need the, who cares what the creator created us for? I'm going to impute meaning and purpose into my own life. In fact, did you know other people can give you meaning and purpose? You can, you can take on Nike's meaning and purpose in life. You can take on other people's meaning and purpose in life. Um, and, and we don't have a time in today's sermon to un- unpack this, but we're going to spend all of next year actually looking at, at this, so I'm very excited about it. But I just want to ask this question. Have you stopped to ask what is your creator's meaning and purpose for you. And I, I know you can impute your own meaning. You can come up with your own. You can, your, your mother can give you meaning in life, whatever, your father, right? It's fine, fine. But wouldn't it be great to also figure out what the creator originally intended for your body, for your life? I'll give you a clue. Right? We're created for good works. We're created to be Christ-like. We're created to love like Christ loved for His glory. These things, they shape us as Christians and they shape us as humans. Because we believe our Creator made us like this. You know, our Creator, any Creator has intimate knowledge of its creation. I used to, before I became a pastor, you know, do all these like spreadsheets and stuff, really complicated spreadsheets, right? And then you'd like pass it to somebody else and then they don't know how the spreadsheet works because one, you know, I didn't explain it very well. But two, there's things only I know, right? And you've got to click into all these like for, um, formulas and stuff. It's the same with authors of books. Like J.K. Rowling has all this information behind the scenes that you don't even see in a book. By recognizing Jesus as creator, you you, you acknowledge his intimate knowledge of every aspect of creation, including ourselves. Psalm 139. We're doing the book of Psalms next year, right? Uh, 13 to 14 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I I praise you, God, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. If if you're you're trying to figure out why am I like this, who am I, what is my identity, how do I tick, what things, if you're trying to figure those things out, your creator has a clue to that, knows more than you do about that. And so that's why we're going to spend next year really looking at that aspect. So how does this affect us? Well, the thing is, we are at our best. We are most free when we do the thing that we have been created for. So that we don't live our life like a fish out of water who struggles to take a step. We don't do well with sin. It doesn't suit us well. It might be fun for a while, but after the Bible says after a while, it, it's price. It's going to be death. But we could be like a bird in the air, created for the air, and most free when flying as created. You're at your best when you're doing good works. You're at your best when you're loving one another as Christ loves. You're at your best when you love God 
as much as you love yourself. Because loving yourself alone, that doesn't get you that much freedom. I combined point three and four because they were very, very similar, but you could, if it was a longer sermon, you could go maybe a bit longer. But Jesus actually is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature, right? Uh, it's in Hebrews 1 verse 3, right? Literally, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's point three and point four. Uh, John 14, 7 to 9, uh, Jesus is saying to Philip, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From, from now on, you, you do know him because you've seen him. Who? Who? The father. And Philip said, Lord, show us God the father. We've been praying to father, our father who art in heaven. Just show us the father. That'll be enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You've literally seen the exact imprint of God. Do you want to know God? The Bible says, then get to know Jesus. The very glory of God. The things that are glorious about God, the things that are glorious about God are seen in Jesus. Now today, there are many things that get glory or acclaim. There are many things that get acclaim, right? You could have sporting achievements. Oh, what a glorious goal I just kicked, right? Uh, they could be glorious new technology that get acclaimed. Oh my goodness, can you see what I can do with chat GPT, you know, whatever, right? Uh, maybe it's glorious to make a lot of money or to get a lot of fame. You think about all the things that are glorious about our culture and our world. And this Bible, our Bible says that Jesus is the very reflection or the very representation of the things that are glorious about God. About God. And so was Jesus so concerned about his Instagram, you know, real? Was Jesus so concerned about wielding his power over people and lording it over people? Was Jesus, you know, a famous movie star? Like, what did Jesus view as glorious? Because in that we will see a clue as to what God views as worthy of acclaim. How does this affect us? That Jesus is the very exact imprint of God, a representation of God's actual glory. I think it affects us because if we see Jesus right, if we get our shot to pay attention to Jesus, we get to know God, our Father. We get to know what God, this very, not just the Christian God, by the way, what the Bible is saying is God. We get to know God. That's why um, Paul goes to, you know, um, a place that doesn't know anything about God. And he says, oh, you know what? You guys worship this unknown God. Let me tell you about this unknown God. We get to see what God looks like through 
Jesus. We connect with our Father. You know, the Australian Human Rights Commission, the United Nations, UNICEF even, all have statements that a child should have a right to know their biological parents. All of them have that statement of a right. And I think it's not just because there are biological things that pass from a parent to a child. So you need to know, hey, am I going to go bald or am I going to, right? There's more than that. It's more than that. I think it's, it's in these documents and it's in our understanding because it's so deeply fundamental for us to want to be connected to our history. So it becomes something like love or freedom. It's a human right for us to know our Father. There is a part of us that wants to know where we come from. And Jesus gives us a picture, connects us back to God, our Father. Five, Jesus, as the sustainer of all things. My goodness. Check this out for an epic statement, right? He upholds the universe by the word of his power. What this means is, actually, since uh, you look at the tense of it, this means that God has not disappeared from our midst. That Jesus is always working, even when we don't see it. God is continually involved in our lives. In fact, Jesus is having an impact in our world today. You know, in Acts, you see that Jesus leaves and he gives us the Holy Spirit, right? But the Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. In fact, Jesus would say this, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. Oh, really? Yes, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will what? He will glorify me, says Jesus. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So you have to understand that even though we have the Holy Spirit here, Jesus is still at work, right? Because the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus. So how does this affect us though? How does like, okay, you got this statement here. Well, I think if we take it seriously, then we realize that as Christians, we don't worship a dead God, some idol somewhere that has long gone or maybe never even existed. But we worship a living God who is still at work upholding the universe. And then we become thankful people. We become thankful people. We, we, we can't be like this kid who, and I'm just gen describing generic kids, not any of your children or, or my children if you're listening. But we can't be like this kid who wakes up every morning in their house, right? And suddenly everything is clean. Even though last night you left your homework out, your books everywhere, your shoes, your cups, your instant noodle supper at night, your jacket is out, your cups, and you wake up in the morning, everything's clean. You're like, whoa, this is great. I'm awesome. And you just grow up thinking, that's the way my house works. 
I just do my stuff, leave everything everywhere, wake up the next day, everything is clean. We don't want to be that kind of people. People who live in this world, exist in this world, see a fresh new day every morning, have a new breath to take every second and go, you know what? Don't worry about it. We're all good. We want to be thankful. We want to be thankful people because Jesus is the sustainer of all things. So we thank God even that we're alive. And I think it makes us different if we realize that truth. Six, Jesus as purifier of sins. Now, you might say like, oh man, I'm going through all these things. I'm literally just reading you the first four verses of the book of Hebrews. It's got a lot in there. But it says in Hebrews 1 verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So, so he made purification for sins. In fact, 1 John 2 verse 2 says, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I'm not sure how many of us think that we have done nothing wrong. Surely there's not many of us who are, are in this room today who go, I have done nothing wrong in my entire life. And even if you are in that category, surely you cannot think that the world doesn't have sins. Our world has most certainly done things also that are wrong. So then if God has made the world and he's created a relationship with us, perhaps it is us who have broken it. Put very simply, propitiation, that big word, kids, if you're uh, listening, right? Propitiation just means that Jesus fixed our relationship with God by taking the punishment, fixing the wrong things that we have done in this world. Wrong things being like sin. Just as how you might break your relationship with your best friend if you have hurt them or said hurtful things to them. You kind of have to repair it back. And Jesus is the repairer of that relationship. So how does this affect us? Well, I think it affects us in the most epic way, actually. The most epic way. Because we who can't save ourselves have a savior who loves us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking the odds are not very high if I'm the only one who has to save myself. And what's amazing about this statement in Hebrews is that it says that Jesus is our Savior. And then we get to, right at the end, Point number seven, Jesus is superior to angels. Hebrews 1 verse 4, having become as much superior to angels as, an, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs, is better. Jesus is better than theirs. Angels, we have heard on high, right? You know, previously in in, in the days that the Bible was written, the most frightening, awesome thing that you could experience 
was an angel or an angelic being. They were like, an angel appears. That's like the most frightening supernatural thing that you could imagine, right? They're like, they always begin with like, fear not, right? In fact, it was an angel. It was so awe-inspiring that it was an angel who declared Jesus himself was coming. So to the initial audience of Hebrew, Hebrews, the angels were on the top of the list of most frightening supernatural experiences that you could have. Uh, what's on the top of your list? What is the most, like, what's the most credible supernatural thing that you would believe if you, if you had a dream while you were sleeping? If you saw in your real waking life a vision if that vision could touch you and you could feel it, would you, would you, oh my goodness, this is, this is awesome. This is the most amazing thing. I'm going to change my life now because I've seen something. It's touched me or whatever it is. Even if you don't believe supernatural things, what is the most awesome natural thing that you can imagine? Right? Because I'm trying to say like that's equivalent to angels. Right? Maybe 100 coincidences that have happened in a row. And you're like, I don't believe in like supernatural stuff, but my goodness, this happened and 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 this happened. And And now, I I, I think I really should do something. Someone is trying to tell me something. What, 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 What is it? Because whatever it is that you have written on your list as the most awesome thing that's gonna change you just like it's gonna angel, Hebrews is saying, Jesus is better than that. Jesus, he's better than that. He's better than 100 coincidences that happen to you in a row. Because there's probably a thousand, if not a hundred thousand coincidences that happened in a row to get to Jesus fulfilling prophecies, dying in the way he did, rising from the dead that he did, changing our world the way he did, so that we're existing even right now in this post-Christian environment. Jesus is better than the most scary, most awesome spiritual thing that the Hebrews could think of, which at that time was just angels. That's why it's saying that. So how does this affect us? Well, it should affect us because it's basically saying, hey, you should pay closer attention to Jesus. In fact, why do I know this? Because when you get to Hebrews chapter 2, it literally says, pay close attention to Jesus. Hebrews 2, 4, 1, uh, Hebrews 2, 1 to 4. Therefore, therefore, after saying all these things, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard about Jesus. Lest we drift away from it. Since the message that was declared by angels, it proved to be reliable, right? Jesus actually came. He was prophesied by angels. Came. Every transgression, disobedience, received a just retribution. How can we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Uh, it was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard. God also bore witness by signs and wonders. And then we got the Holy Spirit. So all this evidence, 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 basically, just to say, hey, Pay close attention to Jesus. We're kicking off this series. The whole month we're going to be doing Jesus. We're literally in Christmas season. Pay attention to Jesus in the Christmas season. Because it's possible 
to drift. What happens if we lose sight of Jesus? If we lose sight of Jesus, and these are the seven Christological statements that I've kind of reframed for our application. If we lose sight of Jesus, if we drift, maybe we, we think, oh, we don't need to take care of things. We don't even need to take care of our life. I'm just going to live my life however I want because it, it doesn't belong to Jesus at the end of the day. It doesn't, it doesn't go, there's no air to every, like, it's just mine. I'm just going to do whatever I want. If we lose sight of Jesus, maybe we might not realize what we've been created for. We might then just impute some kind of meaning and purpose that somebody just gives us or that we have kind of like figured out ourselves what we want to do or whatever, right? And we might miss what our creator intended us for, these good works, to to be Christ-like. If we lose sight of Jesus, we might not get to know our own father. This basic human right that everybody on this planet supposedly is meant to have. If we lose sight of Jesus, we might not be thankful for the things that God is doing. Because we are not thinking that he's holding the universe up. We might just think, it's the way it is. I don't need to be thankful. I don't need to give thanks for the breath I take. I'm going to breathe in the next second. If we lose sight of Jesus, we might not realize that we need salvation. We might think, you know, I'm just going to solve my own problems in life. I'm just going to sort it out myself. I'm good. And then if we don't pay attention to Jesus, we might actually, and this I think is the most important thing of all, we might not realize that Jesus is better than what we have previously ever imagined. We might think that Jesus is old-fashioned, fabricated by some kind of myth somewhere. We might think that Jesus is for fuddy-duddies or other things. We might not realize what Hebrews chapter 1 is trying to tell us. You know, C.S. Lewis very famously says, Because of the statements, like you just heard us talk about seven statements about Jesus. Because of the claims of Jesus Christ, they're so out there, creator of the world, uphold the universe, the exact imprint of God. You can't look at Jesus and just think he's a good guy. You either have to think he's some kind of liar that he knows he's not the creator of the world, right? And he's just lying to everybody. But his character would not be consistent with that. Why would he die for a lie? Why would all the disciples die for a lie? Either that, or you have to think, according to C.S. Lewis, that he's some kind of lunatic. That he's so, so deluded in his own mind that he thinks he's the creator of the world, upholding the universe, and he's so deluded that he's acting like a deluded person. But again, his life is not consistent with that. And what's more, the effect of his life is not consistent with that. Because then we're all saying a lunatic has literally changed our whole world. What does that make us? 
Then there's the third conclusion that C.S. Lewis says. Because you have to grapple with Jesus. Jesus says too many crazy out there things that a normal human being could not say. And C.S. Lewis goes, he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's actually Lord. And if he's Lord, you got to pay attention. Take a close look at Jesus. Father, I pray that this Christmas, you would help us in the midst of all the things that are going on as we live our lives in the world that you've created, the world that you are going to inherit, the world that, that you are uh, holding up by the power of your word. I pray, Lord God, that we would remember you, we would see you, that we would be people who remember even your significance to all of life. Lord, help us in this series as we unpack Jesus Christ to do justice to Jesus. And as Christians, help us to live out Christ in us. We commit all this into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to hand the service over to Quinton.